Laudato Jesus Christus, Vatican and World News. In the headlines is Friday, February the 16th, jailed Russian opposition politician Alexei Navalny dies in prison. Ukraine works to shore up Western support nearly two years after Russia launches its full-scale invasion. And the church remembers 21 Coptic men who were executed on a beach in Libya nine years ago. In the Vatican, I'm Francesca Merlo. Russian prison officials say the jailed Russian opposition politician Alexei Navalny, a prominent vocal critic of President Vladimir Putin, has died. The 47-year-old allegedly fell sick during a walk, fainted and died soon after. But as Stefan Boss reports, questions remain about the circumstances surrounding his sudden death. Russia's prison service in the Yamalo Nenets Autonomous District claimed that Russia's famous anti-corruption crusader Alexei Navalny felt unwell after a walk Friday and almost immediately lost consciousness. It stressed that medical staff had been called but that they were unable to resuscitate Navalny. It said the reason for his death was being established. However, the sudden death of the 47-year-old raised questions as it came amid a reported Kremlin crackdown on dissent and questions about the circumstances in Russian prisons. Navalny had reasons to be fearful. Over the years, he faced physical attacks, repeated arrests, investigations and criminal proceedings, which he claimed to be politically motivated. Most notably, he survived an assassination attempt in 2020 that involved the nerve agent Novichok. After the Novichok poisoning, Russian officials agreed to fly comatose Navalny out to Germany for treatment, with Navalny waking up and eventually recovering in Berlin's Charité Hospital. However, with Navalny staying in Germany for several months after his release from the hospital, Russian authorities warned he violated probation terms of an earlier court case and threatened to arrest him upon return. Despite the warning, Navalny chose to return to Moscow in January 2021. Russian authorities detained him at the airport and the politician has been behind bars ever since. His controversial convictions led to a prison sentence of more than 30 years. Navalny will be remembered for publicly calling out Kraft at the top of the Kremlin hierarchy. Navalny became the founder of the anti-corruption foundation FBK and was one of the leaders of the anti-government protests in 2011 through 2013, culminating in his unsuccessful running for mayor of Moscow. Navalny described Russian President Putin as a madman and said the ruling party in Russia was full of crooks and thieves. That upset the Kremlin and Navalny was sent in December to the notorious Polar Wolf Colony, officially known as the IK-3 Penal Colony, about 1,900 kilometers or 1,200 miles northeast of Moscow. For Vatican Radio, I am Stefan Bos. Reporting. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has signed a bilateral security agreement with Germany and plans to sign another with France on Friday, securing a strong signal of long-term backing as Kiev works to shore up Western support nearly two years after Russia launched its full-scale war. Christopher Wells has the latest. 
President Volodymyr Zelensky met in Berlin with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who said that Germany was providing another 1.1 billion euro package of military aid, including 36 howitzers, 120,000 rounds of artillery ammunition, and two more air defense systems. Scholz described the long-term security accord as an historic step. It's Ukraine's second such bilateral agreement after one signed last month with the United Kingdom. Zelensky plans to sign another one with President Emmanuel Macron in France later on Friday. He said more were in the works with other countries. Ukraine, he said, has never yet had more valuable and stronger documents. The security agreements appear aimed primarily at sending a message of long-term solidarity as Ukraine has gone back on the defensive in the war, hindered by low ammunition supplies and a shortage of personnel. Two years after the beginning of this terrible war, we are sending a clear-cut message today to the Russian president. We will not ease off in our support for Ukraine, Schultz said. The agreement follows commitments by the group of seven most advanced economies at a NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, in July. The group of seven vowed at the time to provide weapons and military equipment, including combat air power, as well as more military training for Ukraine's beleaguered army. On Saturday, Zelensky is set to attend the Munich Security Conference, an annual gathering of high-ranking security and foreign policy officials, where he plans meetings with U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, amongst others. I'm Christopher Wells. Meanwhile, Israel will not be pressured into accepting a Palestinian state. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said this on Friday following a Washington Post report that Israel's main ally, the United States, was moving plans to establish a Palestinian state. Israel categorically rejects international dictates regarding a permanent settlement with the Palestinians, said Netanyahu, in a statement published following a call with U.S. President Joe Biden. He reiterated Israel will continue to oppose unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state. Meanwhile, Indonesia's likely new president, Prabowo Subianto, has been advised to improve budget efficiency to make way for spending priorities, but has not made a decision on adjusting sensitive energy subsidies, a senior member of his team said on Friday. Prabowo has received a suggestion to review costly fuel subsidies, which reached 500 trillion rupiah, the equivalent of 32 billion US dollars last year, to ensure only the poor would benefit. But it was unclear what he would do, the vice chair of his campaign team, Eddie Soropano, told reporters. Meanwhile, the West Africa's main regional bloc, ECOWAS, on Friday called on authorities in Senegal to set a new date for the presidential election in accordance with the Constitutional Council's decision that its postponement was unconstitutional. The country has been in turmoil since President Macky Sall earlier this month signed a decree postponing the election that was scheduled for the 25th of February. In a statement, ECOWAS invited stakeholders in the Senegalese government to respect the rule of law and ensure a free, inclusive and transparent vote. Linda Bordoni has more. Considered one of the pillars and watchdogs of the region, the African economic community ECOWAS's intervention in Senegal's crisis signals the preoccupation of the bloc that held emergency talks on Thursday in Nigeria to discuss the political crisis in Senegal and also ongoing disputes with military rulers in three other member states, leading to questions about the bloc's broader role. 
The unprecedented election delay has triggered widespread unrest and warnings of authoritarian overreach in the West African nation that is seen as one of the most stable democracies of the region. Archbishop Benjamin Daye of Dakar is amongst those to have expressed concern for the postponement, reiterating the need to aspire towards national cohesion and institutions that respect the constitution. Reacting to the ruling on Friday, the government said the country's political factions would need to consult to find a way forward. So the pressure is on the president and his ruling party, but a government spokesman has not yet said whether the presidency will abide by the ruling. The answer lies in the Constitutional Council's decision, which calls on the competent authorities to set a new date for organising the elections as soon as possible, Saal's spokesman reportedly told journalists. Saal has previously said he delayed the election due to a dispute over the candidate list and alleged corruption within the Constitutional Council would undermine the credibility of the poll. Meanwhile, tension is high throughout Senegal and more protests are expected over the weekend. I'm Linda Bordoni. Pope Francis on Friday met with seminarians and the community members of the seminary Alessio Ascalesi as they celebrate the 90th anniversary of its foundation. In prepared remarks handed to the group in the Vatican's Clementine Hall, the Pope reflected on the ongoing nature of priestly formation needed to bring the beauty of the gospel to the people of our time, listening to the Holy Spirit and to their demands. Lisa Zingarini reports. The church is above all an open construction site that remains constantly on the move, open to the novelty of the spirit and overcoming the temptation to preserve itself and its own interests. Pope Francis offered that insight in his address on Friday to the seminarians and community members of the seminary Alessio Ascalesi of the Archdiocese of Naples a synodal church that walks alongside the crucified and risen Christ and listens to the Spirit, requires ministers who know how to adopt a pastoral discernment style in every situation, the Pope said. This is why he explained the path to priesthood is also a construction site in which future priests are called to get involved in truth, allowing God to build his work over the years. Pope Francis therefore invited the seminarians not to be afraid to let the Lord act in their lives through the Holy Spirit. He encouraged them to dig deep, doing the truthing themselves, meditating God's word and delving into the questions and theological and pastoral issues of our time. The Pope also recommended they work on emotional and human maturity. Without it, he said, you won't get anywhere. Bringing his address to a close, the Pope encouraged the members of the community of the seminary Alessio Scalesi to travel the path of conversion and renewal, also by learning to live in fraternity with humility. Fraternity, he stressed, is especially today one of the greatest testimonies we can offer to the world. I am Lisa Zengarini. And finally, nine years ago, 21 Coptic men were executed by the so-called Islamic State on a beach in Libya. Now, for the first time, their feast day has been celebrated by the Catholic Church. As Joseph Tullock reports. For the first time, the Catholic Church has celebrated the feast day of the 21 Coptic martyrs killed by ISIS in 2015. 
The men, members of Egypt's Coptic Orthodox Church, were murdered on a beach in Libya. Footage of their execution was posted online by the terrorist group and shared widely. All 21 men were immediately proclaimed martyrs by the Coptic Church. Then, last May, Pope Francis added them to the Roman Martyrology, the Catholic Church's official list of saints. Yesterday, Thursday the 15th of February, was the first time that the Feast of the Coptic Martyrs has come round on the calendar of Catholic saints, and to mark the occasion, an ecumenical prayer service was held in St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. Cardinal Kurt Koch, the prefect of the Dicastery for Promoting Christian Unity, presided over the celebration, at which relics of the martyrs were placed on the altar and venerated. In his homily, the cardinal reflected on the concept of the ecumenism of blood, which is so dear to Pope Francis, quoting his words. If the enemy unites us in death, who are we to divide ourselves in life? The communion of martyrs, Cardinal Koch stressed, undoubtedly speaks more eloquently than the divisions that still separate us today. Also present for the prayer service were a number of representatives from the Coptic churches, and music was provided by Rome's Coptic choir, composed of around two dozen boys and young men. Blessed are you, O martyrs. You suffered many tortures, and the sea testified, and you put on your crowns. Without words, you make your voices heard, and your voices have travelled to the ends of the earth. Speaking to Vatican Radio after the conclusion of the prayer service, Father Antonio Gabriel described the Pope's recognition of the Coptic martyrs as a beautiful sign aimed at unifying Christians. And the prayer was followed by a showing of the film The 21, The Power of Faith in the Vatican Film Library. The documentary tells the story of the Coptic martyrs through a series of interviews with their family members. Speaking to Vatican Radio, the film's director said that the film was born of a strong urge to, quote, gather the testimonies of the martyrs' families and to understand what really happened, to tell them, we are here with you, we haven't forgotten you, and we want to bring your voice to Europe with us. I'm Joseph Tollock. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Vatican and World News. For more on these and other stories, please visit vaticannews.vl as well as Facebook, X and Instagram. Many thanks go to Gustavo Messina in studio. In the Vatican, I'm Francesca Merlo. <laughs>